But uh, before we start today uh, into the next section of the book of Romans, I just want to remind us all of uh, who this letter was written to, and there's some of the things that we've covered in the past that are going to relate to today. So um, this letter or book of the Bible was written to the Jews and to the Gentiles that were part of a church, the church in Rome, that Paul had not yet been able to go to. Um, In his travels, he had met and ministered to some of the people who, at the time he wrote this letter, were in Rome, but he hadn't been able to go there and really give them a full teaching of everything that God had put in, in his heart for the kind of the, the establishment of these new churches, to be the, the apostle that really um, thrust these, these churches into sound theology and, and really understanding the, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he hadn't been able to do, do that yet. He's been longing to go there and do that. Um, and he mentions that, mentioned that in the first part of this letter. Um, He wants to go there and be part of what God is doing in Rome and to equip them and encourage them. During this first part of Romans, uh, much of his writing that we've read so far has been directed specifically at the Jews in the church. And uh, we've evaluated some of their issues, some of their hang-ups, and we've seen some real commonalities between some of the things that were hang-ups for them and things that are hang-ups for Christians in America today. Um, Some of the Christians... Just Some Christians today, just like the Jews that Paul's addressing, have made some of the same mistakes where they elevate tradition or elevate ceremonies or good works or even titles to a height where they put them on par with or, or uh, you know, connected with their hope for salvation. Um, they have put hope in their outward words and deeds and haven't put all of their hope in faith in Jesus and in the work of the cross. There are some who've taken their guy, their eyes off of God's standard, and they've made kind of an abbreviated list of, of what's right and what's wrong. And when they look at that list and they kind of evaluate um, how they compare to other people, they feel like they're pretty good in their own evaluation. And they don't see their sin, um, they just have hope in their goodness. Today, uh, Paul is going to be summarizing the last 52 verses that we've covered in kind of a crescendo as we close out the first main theme of the book of Romans. Last week, we talked about the advantage that the Jews had of having the very word of God and and that we have of having the very word of God. Um, But they were given this word um, to help them remove any thoughts of self-righteousness, any thoughts that, um, that, uh, that they were good on their own. But in case there was some who maybe heard this, they've read up to this point and they thought, maybe I'm the exception to the rule. You know, maybe, you know, I, I don't really see that I'm that bad. Maybe none of those sins for some reason popped out to them as that they're guilty. Um, Paul's about to make that very clear. But before we get into that, a couple of verses um, that we read back in chapter one, I want us to kind of keep in the back of our minds as we read through uh, the end of chapter 3 today. The first is Romans uh, 1, 16 through 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone, everyone's a key word here, who believes the Jews first and also the Gentiles. This good news, and this is, this is the part you're going to hear all through the day, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. 
as scripture says, the very word of God says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Like I said, we're going we're gonna to hear that a lot. <clears throat> so far, a lot of what we read from Romans has been a, an encouragement for us to do an honest evaluation of ourselves. It's been a warning for us to focus on God's perfect standard and not compare ourselves to other people to determine whether or not we're good. The first step in God's good news plan to be made right in his sight is to show us that we are not right in his sight, that there is a consequence for our misdeeds and for our sin. We have earned God's wrath, but God, with his love, has held back punishment to give time for people to turn to him. And so um, that brings me to, to the next uh, verse that we've, we've covered in the past, but um, it's just so important. It was kind of our first sign of what was to come. Um, I don't know if it's the first sign of what was to come, but, uh, but I just, it's one of my favorite verses that we covered so far, and it relates to this where it says in Romans 2, verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, and you could say grace, is intended to turn you from your sin. Grace is, kindness extended to us is God's grace. God is not just a God of wrath. So we've been going through this section on the God of wrath, God's wrath. God is not just a God of wrath, but he's a God of grace. Last week, we looked at three questions that Paul posed on behalf of the readers. Um, Paul had taught, as I mentioned before, he taught in many synagogues. He's, he's taught these same things in many places. He's had conversations with people about these things in, in different cities, and they have, um, they've responded back with certain questions. And so to advance this conversation with the Romans, who he hasn't been able there to talk to them in person, he poses some of these questions on their behalf. And so one of the main questions that we looked at last week that they asked and it, and it relates to what we're going to be talking about today, is what is the advantage of having been born and raised a Jew? And we said that um, the main takeaway was that there are advantages to being a Jew, and the main advantage that they had was that they were given the very word of God. So in the time when majority of the world had some sort of God, they believed that there was some, some God out there, they did not know the true God. They didn't have the advantage of having the very word of God to clearly show them who God was and, and how they could please him and, and how they were designed to live. They didn't have his laws, the laws that gave the Jews protection and gave them prosperity. They didn't have the same promises that were given to the Jews. They, they were not part of the same covenant that the Jews had with him. The Jews had that advantage. And today as Christians, we have that advantage as well. We have the very word of God and we can choose the same as the Jews could choose whether we're going to be just proud of the fact that we are Christians and we have the word of God or if we're actually going to take that word of God and we're going to read it and we're going to value it and we're going to apply it to our lives. Are we going to take advantage of the advantage given to us? Because not only, if we take advantage of it, not only will it protect us and provide for us, but it also shows us how God makes us right in his sight. How are we to be restored to him? Today, as I, uh, I mentioned, there's going to be another question 
that we're going to cover that Paul is going to pose on behalf of the Roman believers. And after we look at that next question, then we're going to get to that first big transition where we move from the righteous wrath of God to the amazing grace of God. But for now, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And here's the, this question that Paul is posing for them in Romans 3, verse 9. He says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? We're going to just pause there for a second. Um, he's again, obviously, he's addressing the Jews. And he had just told them that their main advantage is that they had the very word of God. And so the thought may be, because they were blessed with that. that was, this was an advantage. This was a blessing that they had. He said that there was an advantage to being a Jew. And so the thought behind this question might be, we Jews who were chosen and entrusted by God to have this great benefit, doesn't that make us better in some way than others? And Paul answers, and we can only presume to their dismay, he said, no, not at all. Oh, back up a little bit. Still never. Yeah, no, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So through chapter 1 and through chapter 2, Paul had laid out that they are guilty of many of the same sins the Gentiles were guilty of. Though they had the benefit of the word of God, they were not able to fully take advantage of it. They, they weren't able to fully implement it in their lives. It was impossible for them as humans to fully live up to the law. They sinned in many of the same ways that those without this advantage did. Now, supposing that there were some hearing or reading this that, like I said earlier, were still feeling like they still had some goodness, still had some righteousness to boast in, Paul's going to make this clear that outside of Christ, they are not better in any way than, than everybody else. They, they are guilty and awaiting the punishment of death. Like, we're all in that same boat. So they're not better. They're still awaiting a punishment for sin. And by the way, just in case any of these Jews are hearing this and they don't recognize Paul as an authority figure, Paul is not going to point these, these, these things out in his own words. He's going to use Scripture. He's going to use the very word of God that he said was their benefit, the thing that gives them an advantage over everybody else. He's going to use that to show them, to, to, to disprove and get rid of anything that still might be lingering in them, thinking that they are somehow righteous on their own. So in the next nine verses, he's going to use six different quotes from Psalms and from Isaiah, showing them the advantage of God's word, um, and that it was... And, the, and it's not just given to them, but now it's actually given to both the Jews and the Gentiles. So he's going to take the Old Testament, he's going to take their advantage, and he's going to show them that they are indeed in need of a Savior. So it says, as scriptures say, I think I'm not, um, yep, I'm jumping ahead. Okay, so it's available to everyone who, <laughs> I don't want to miss any of the points. Um, so uh, yeah, so it's available, this law he's about to cover, it's on the screen, don't read ahead yet, we're not there. Okay, he's going to take the word of God, and he's going to show how it can be applied, how it provides us with clarity so that we can truly see our depravity, to see that we have a problem. I, I've talked about this in weeks past, about how the first step is that we, we need to recognize that we have a problem, and um, I promise that, uh, that we are moving on to God's grace today. But this is the, this is the big finale. This is just kind of like the, you know, 
he's just going to hit hard this last point to make sure that everybody fully gets that, that they are subject to the wrath of God without the grace of God. And so we're going to get to the grace of God right after that. Um, as we read through these next nine verses, I want you to watch for the word all and the word no one. Okay? So here we go. Now you can read. As scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And then it it goes on uh, here to show kind of what the fruit or the evidence is of somebody who fits in this category. What does that life look like? And he says, um, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. So is that clear enough? God's word says that we are all unrighteous and that it's, it's vile, it's disgusting. It's not something that God approves of. It is, I mean, it's pretty graphic the way he depicted, you know, their life of sin. But he said, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. No one does good, not a single one. All have turned away. All have become useless. So the question again was, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? And the answer was no. They're not better. They were just blessed. God called them and blessed them and made promises to them long before the curtain was torn and all nations were invited into covenant with God. But they were blessed in the same way that we are blessed, that, that God cared enough for us to show us that we have a problem. And then in his patience and his kindness, he holds back his wrath and instead, um, he holds back his wrath and instead leads us to repentance. Today, the world tells us that, uh, that if we tell them that they are wrong, they're doing something that's wrong, or worse yet, that we say that what they're doing is sin, that that is hate speech. Uh, if we tell them that what they're doing is going to lead to pain or that there's going to be penalty for eternity, because of the way that they're living and because they haven't received a savior, that is, they call that violence. Just saying those words, they will call that violence against them. But it's completely backwards. We saw that video earlier that depicts us so well, telling them that there is danger that lies ahead is love speech. It's not hate speech. As ambassadors of Christ, we are to tell the truth in love, not to condemn them, but so that they will have the same benefit that we had, that they would know the very word of God and that they would know that they have a problem. And then to tell them that there is good news that tells us how they can be made right with God, how they can avoid the punishment that is awaiting them, the wrath of God that has been held up so that they can have time to turn. God shows us how to be made right in his sight. 
So today, even though the Bible is available to everyone in the country who has internet connection, most people don't recognize it as the word of God. The word of a holy and righteous God that gave us his written word so that we can know how to be made right in his sight. The phrase, being right, made right in his sight, and I told you we would hear this a lot today, um, it's, it's, it's repeated a bunch of times uh, in these closing verses. In fact, you're going to hear the word made right used in verse 20, 21, 22, 24, 26, 28, and 30. So it's, it's kind of a big point here. It's, the, it's actually the whole point um, of why it's so important for us to recognize why that we're not right. We have to recognize that we're not right so we can understand that we need to be made right. Um, otherwise, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's foolishness to those who do not recognize their need for it. And why is it such a big deal to God for us to be perfect anyways? Why is it so important to be completely right in his sight? Because God is not just righteous, but he is also holy. He's righteous in his actions, but the fact that he's holy is a description of who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. The word holy is used more than 600 times in the Bible defining something that is sacred, something that is set apart. God is in a class of his own in being holy. Um, God is perfectly holy. He's set apart from all sin. Habakkuk, uh, chapter 1, gives us a little depiction of what holy means when describing God. Uh, Habakkuk is praying to God, and in verse 12 he says, O Lord, my God, my, my holy one. And in verse 13 he says, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. You are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. God is pure. There's no sin in him. And even to look upon it angers him. He, he, he is separate from sin. I've got a, a glass of water here. The purpose of this water is to satisfy my thirst but I'm kind of particular about the water that I drink. I think most of us are. That's why, um, I mean, there's a lot of water in the world, right? You know, you don't just don't see a puddle and start drinking out of it. We're a little bit particular. When you go and buy water and you go to the store, um, I think pretty much every bottle of water that you buy will say somewhere on it, you know, pure drinking water. It's pure. Um, if you take your water and you drop, you know, a couple bugs in it or some dirt that you swept off the floor, you're, you're not really going to want it anymore. You're not going to want to drink that anymore. Uh, even if it looks mostly clean, you can still see through most of it, but there's a few things floating in it, you know, you're not going to want to drink it. The other day, I had just a little speck of something, you know, in my cup. I don't know what it was. And I, you know, struggling to try and get it out. It kept on floating away from me as I was trying to get it. It's just, I didn't want to drink it though with that thing. And I didn't know what it was, you know, I wanted to drink pure water. Um, you know, most of us would take that water and do what I did and just dump it out. And if it's dirty enough, we'd actually clean the cup before we'd fill it back up and drink out of it again. But that water had lost its ability to serve its purpose. God made us for a purpose. He created us for relationship with God, to receive his love and reflect it back to him in adoration and in worship. 
But God is set apart. He is holy. He is particular about who he's in an intimate relationship with. When we were contaminated with sin, we were no longer any good for relationship with God. He is holy and he will not join into an intimate relationship with somebody who is unholy, somebody who is impure. We were no longer any good for the purpose that we were created for. Our sin had separated us from God. And if you remember one of the verses before that started with the word all, or the, the phrase that started with the word all, it says all had become useless. We were useless for relationship with God. We needed to be made right with God, but unlike dirty water that is, is just tossed out, we, we weren't just not worthy of being in a relationship with him, but we had also sinned against him. We, have, we had done wrong, and, and even in our human nature, we know that in, if you're looking for justice for something, if somebody does something wrong, there has to be a consequence. There has to be a punishment. And we know that God is just. So there's not just a separation, but there's an awaiting punishment. But we're moving forward, right? I told you that we're moving past that. That's, we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. I promise that we're getting to the part about grace. And we're just a few verses away from that, but we have to know where we're at to appreciate where we're going. And so um, we're going to continue on into verse 19 through 20, where it says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Again, the purpose of the law is to show the Jews first and then also the entire world that we are guilty before God and to take away all of our excuses. Like I said earlier, I was going to mention a courtroom. So if you're in a, imagine you're in a courtroom and, uh, and the evidence is all there. Um, they have your fingerprints that they found on the scene of the crime. Uh, they have a printout of an email that you had sent that detailed the plan to commit the crime. They have a video of you doing it. And even in the video, you drop your wallet with your driver's license on it. And they recovered that wallet from the scene where they saw you dropped it. And you're standing there in court and you have no excuse. There's nothing that you can say there's no way out. You are guilty as charged. But God's love defends us, right? That's what we sang. But God's love defends us. And so um, there's more. Are you ready for this? We're going to get to Here we are. Verse 21. Here's the transition. But now God, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, in the very word of God, it was written. Oftentimes, uh, we've heard people say, uh, I don't want to hear any buts about it, right? That's a phrase that parents might say. That's a different, different context. This is, this is not one of those cases. This is a time where we are happy to hear him say, but now. We were standing guilty, but now there's hope. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And we know this way is true because we have the very word of God. 
It was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. The Bible is our great advantage. Without it, we're wandering around in the dark without any light. But with it, we have the word of the Lord, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God gave the Jews his word ahead of time so that they could know that it was true when they saw it. All right. So what is this way that we are made right with God? And we jump into Romans 3, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. The good news does not show us that God recognized how good we are or that he recognized how hard we tried. Um, He didn't say to some, you know, you're good enough, um, or to some, you know, I I can tell you tried, so I'm just going to let some of your sins slide. God is a just God. He, He can't just let sin slide. The good news is that we were made right with God, not by works of our own, but by faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came and paid the penalty of our sin so that we can be made pure in the eyes of God. Uh, He'd been addressing Jews specifically, but now this is for the whole church. He says, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Earlier we read, no one, over and over and over again. We saw the word, all had turned away. The entire world is guilty. And now we see the word, everyone. And just to be clear, he adds, no matter who you are. And this is, is good for us personally to know that, that there's nothing that we've done that can't be overcome by, the, by the, the payment that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. But it's also good for us to remember as we look at other people, and we maybe sometimes have a tendency to want to judge others, to know that, that his cross, his, his payment on the cross for our sins was enough for everyone, no matter who we are. Um. We're about to move into uh, the next verse, which is Romans 3.23, which it all should stand out to you. We've been reading that verse over the last few weeks, uh, probably five weeks, really. Uh, It's one of the verses in Romans Road. It's not the first verse in Romans Road, but it's the first verse in Romans Road that we've run into as we've worked our way through Romans. So here we are, Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Those are the words, everyone and all again. Um, this is, this verse here is a summary. It's, it's a super condensed version of the last two chapters, all the way from the middle of chapter one to the middle of chapter three. He's been trying to get across these 12 words in this verse. He's peeled back the layers of our external protections and our excuses, the bandages that we've put over top of our sin. Um, and he says, your sin is still there. You can, you can point to all of your goodness. You can point to all of the, the, the ceremonies and traditions. But if you haven't repented before God, if you haven't turned from your sin and made Jesus Lord of your life, if you haven't accepted that what he did on the cross, dying for you, was the payment that washed away your sin, your sin is still there. You have to stop pretending that somehow you're righteous on your own and that you're not in jeopardy of God's wrath. He's been saying to them, and he's saying to us, take off your blinders and look at God 
Look at God's, look at God's glorious standard and then look at yourself. You have fallen short. You have fallen short. I have fallen short. You have fallen short. Everyone has fallen short of the glorious standard of God. Um, we have an example in Isaiah where he got to look on the holiness of God and he responded because when you see God's holiness, you become very aware of your unholiness. And so Isaiah looked upon God and he, and he knew at that moment, he said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. He said, I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. God's glorious standard exposing our true condition is just step one. And I keep on saying we're moving past this, but we, we're getting there. I, I have to keep on pointing back so we recognize where, where we are. Uh, that was just preparation for the good news, Okay. God's glory standard exposing our true condition was just preparation for the good news. It's just recognizing we have a problem. Um, but as I've shared before, the good news is not the good news if you don't know that you need it. But when your eyes have been opened to see God's glory standard and you recognize your condition, and then you hear there is a way, when you hear this, but now, um, and that we can be made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and that this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Now that is good news. You have to know the first in order to really receive the second. When you know that your sin, that you have sin and that your sin has consequences and then you hear the good news, the good news becomes good news. Amen? Amen. God gave us this good news. And why did God give us this good news? Why did he do it? Why, why would he go out of his way? Who are we? We who had turned away from him, we who had become useless for what he created us for. Um, why did he create a way for us to be made right? And the answer is, it's because of the grace of God. Because he loved us. By God's grace is the only reason why he gave us away. He's worthy. He, he didn't have to do anything. But by his grace, he gave us a way out. And that's what, uh, that's what we read as we move on to Romans 3, 24 through 26. It says, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. God is love, God is holy, God is just. And so as we read through this, the rest of this section, um, he shows how he is able to, to give us grace, how he's able to uh, make us right in his sight without sacrificing any of those things, without sacrificing the fact that he is love, without sacrificing that he's holy, and without sacrificing that he is just. So Yet God in his grace, which is his love, makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. Now, he can't just, like I said, he can't just let our sins slide, right? That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be the act of a holy God. It wouldn't be righteous. For God, it says, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. So that, that was paid for. We didn't steal forgiveness. It was paid for. 
For God presented Jesus as sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what would in what he would do in present time or in our more present time to him than to us. And now it's been a couple thousand years. Um, but God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. And, and what he did in present time back then is still present today. It's still the same, uh, the same good news that was available at that moment has extended on and reverberated and will reverberate through eternity. Um, God did this to demonstrate did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus that's good and it's just that section is so cool how it it, it it shows how God maintains all of these attributes of who he is while still covering our sin still making us again, able to fulfill the purpose that he created us for so that we can be in relationship with him so that we can be uh, freed from, from sin and the consequences of sin. But, but he paid for it. He, the price was paid. God remains holy and just. He acted within his glorious standard when he made this way for us to be right in his sight. He desired to show us his love by extending his kindness to restore us um, to our created purpose. As I said, uh, in order for God to rightly restore us, he had to deal with the penalty required by his perfect standard of justice. So he took that penalty for us. God provided Jesus, who was God in the flesh, to provide a perfect sacrifice. You may think one man for all mankind, but Jesus was not just one man. God, Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus lived a perfect life. His life sacrificed was worthy, was, was capable, was sufficient, according to God's glory standard, to cover all of our sin for all time. This section of verses that I mentioned uh, five weeks ago, this was the section... Um, so when we first started, I did kind of an intro to Romans and talked a little bit about some people impacted by it, by Romans um, that were kind of instrumental in the, the life of the church over history. And one of those was Martin Luther. And um, this was the section where he really became born again. Said um, as he was studying this, um, he and Martin Luther, I don't know, some people maybe hear Martin Luther and immediately think of Martin Luther King, but this is the Martin Luther that uh, was a monk and he um, ended up uh, getting born again, basically uh, turning from some of the teaching of the Catholic Church and started, um, was a forerunner, at least in the Protestant Reformation. Um, and so it's, it was uh, an amazing turn from, from where people were putting their faith and a lot of things that we were talking about earlier in the traditions and in penance and works. And so um, he turned and realized that it's really in faith in Jesus and the work of the cross alone. Um, but uh, anyways, as he studied Romans, he was convinced that there was no sacrifice that we could offer to purchase our righteousness and that only, the only sacrifice that would ever make us right with God was Jesus' blood shed. And when he believed that, he, these were his words that he penned. He said, I felt that I was altogether born again 
and had entered paradise itself through open gates. He had received the good news after serving the church for many years. He had now become a true child of God. Now going back to the Jews with, uh, with one more question on their behalf. <clears throat> he says in Romans 3, 27 through 31, he said, Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, it is God, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. <coughs> well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. That, that last part is important. We're going to touch on that a little bit more later. But only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Can we boast on, in anything that we have done to help us help make us right in God's sight? And the answer was no. And that is what makes God's grace so amazing. He offered it even before we loved him, uh, even before we knew we needed it, even for those who are currently uh, opposed to him. His grace is still available. He's still extending kindness. He's still, he's still holding back, you know, showing his kindness, giving time for people to repent. The follow-up question that was in verse 31 said, does that mean that as long as we have faith, our sin doesn't matter? And we talked about that a little bit last week, and we're going to talk about it again in chapter 6 when we get there. Um, but does it mean that our sin doesn't matter? And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. The last part, uh, we can only, or, um, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Um, the more important part is that we can only really fulfill the law when we're fulfilling it out of a heart that's been changed by the Spirit. Looking back to, to chapter 2, verse 29, the, first, the last verse that we, that we did in chapter 2, um, have we have a, do we have a heart that's been changed where it desires the praises of God and not the praises of people? So things that we're doing are not so that you all think that I'm doing really well, but so that God thinks that I'm Obeying, obeying him, that I'm surrendered to him, that I'm, that I'm showing my love and adoration to him and my honor to him by doing what he wrote in his law. That's when obeying the law actually means something. If it's just for you guys, God doesn't care if I'm doing it for you. He wants me to do it for him. And so that's where we're at. Um, we're going to close with, uh, with one last passage that kind of expands on this point. And this is, comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, 
Well, we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. By his grace, he did not just forgive us and leave us as we were, but he changed us. And in what way did he change us? This last section of verses that we read, he said that, said that he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us pure. And now that we're pure, he can make us right or make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. But we do those as his people, as, as people who are devoted to him. This last week, I was thinking about... Um, my when I was saved, when I was born again as a youth. And um, I know that when I was like four or five, I, I prayed a pr- bedtime prayer with, with my mom at some point. Um, but, but I know that God truly got a hold of me when I was like 13 or 14. I remember being at a conference and I remember standing there. Um, I think it was during a time of worship. And I just remember um, that God became very, real to me. Like I, I recognized that, like he spoke to my heart in a way that I was like, I recognized that, that it wasn't just Sunday school stories. It wasn't just Bible things that I was taught, but God was real and he wanted to have a relationship with me. I, I, I understood at that moment that Christianity was not just a, a way of life. It wasn't just a code of ethics, but it was a relationship with a real and living God that had a purpose for me. And um, I don't remember that after that moment that my actions and my behaviors changed drastically. I was raised in a, in a Christian home and I went to church. I knew a lot of the law that was intended to help keep us from sin, to help protect and, per, you know, um, protect us and bless us by following it. Um, so I had some of that that was taught to me by my parents and by the church. Um, I also had Christian friends that were a positive peer pressure on me, so I wasn't doing a lot of bad things with them. I also had a healthy fear of consequences that I might get from my parents had they found out that I did something that I wasn't supposed to. So there wasn't a big change as far as, um, you know, how I acted maybe. But the, the biggest change, and, and I think that there was a gradual change for sure, but the, the big change was that I was made right with God. I was cleansed from all my sin, and, and after I was cleansed from my sin, it was like every time I did something wrong, I knew it in kind of a different way. I, I, when I sinned, I noticed it. it. It bothered me. I didn't want to keep on sinning. There was a, the Holy Spirit was living in me, and he was telling me, that what I did was wrong and I needed to stop doing it, even if I wasn't going to get caught, right? Um, Before I was made right with God, before I was made pure in his sight, when I was covered with sin, I didn't notice it as much when I sinned. I didn't notice when I did it again, and maybe I just didn't care if I did it again because if I thought I wasn't going to get in trouble for it, then I was okay. But once the Holy Spirit lived in me, it bothered me. Uh, I thought about it. um, I don't know if any of you have ever jumped into a mud pit, at some point in your life, I've, I've, I've dove headfirst into a mud pit before. And uh, once you're covered with mud, uh, you don't really care if people throw mud at you. You know, people throw mud at you. It doesn't really bother you. But 
if you are wearing your Sunday best and you drip a little toothpaste on your shirt, like that bothers you, right? <laughs> you go change your shirt or find some way to wash it. That bothers you. The Holy Spirit gives us a new life that is free from the guilt of stain, guilt of, of, of sin, the stain of sin uh, through faith in Jesus. And then when we mess up after we're all clean, we notice it. We know that we're not okay and it bothers us. And so back to the question uh, back in Romans 3.31, well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? The answer is no. It actually makes the law more profitable to use because now that we have a heart that's changed, that makes our obedience to God actually a true act of worship, a true act of thanksgiving and adoration uh, for the grace of God that he freely gave to everyone who believes. Before when we followed the law, it, it really, it was a blessing to us, but outside of a changed heart where we're doing it at, to honor God, it wasn't fulfilling our purpose. We couldn't please God by our actions until we were made clean and in relationship with him. So now that we were made clean in relationship with him, when we follow his law, that is an act of love and adoration to him. God has shown us how we are made right in his sight through faith in Jesus Christ. And by his grace, it is available to all of us to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your law. It maybe sounds weird to say we're thankful for, to recognize that we have sin or that we had sin in our lives, um, to, to know that we are guilty. But Lord, we're so thankful that you gave us your law, that we can know of our guilt so that we can turn from it, that by your grace you had a but now, so that even though we were lost in our sin, now we can receive your grace. We can receive your forgiveness by the penalty paid for our sins on the cross by your son that it was given because of your great love for us. Lord, we pray that as we move forward, as we walk out these doors, as we continue in life, that we would remember that your law was given now not just as a warning, but now we can actually use your law, live by your law in acts of praise and worship and adoration to you, fulfilling the purpose that you intended us for, that, that we would be reflecting back to you our love and adoration as you pour your love and grace out onto us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here today the way you ministered to us during our time of praise and worship, Lord. We thank you for your word and how it plants seeds in our hearts. Um, and we just pray that you'd cause those to grow and produce fruit that would be evident to the world around us that all would know that they have a way to be made right in your sight. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God.